When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Another excellent day for England. A rather bizarre day in a way, which sort of didn't really get going initially. Then it had uh, an absolutely star performance by a Pakistani who saved his career probably and certainly saved his captaincy, Azhar Ali. And then we saw uh, some comedy moments uh, as if the uh, the kind of old comedy era had revisited the Aegeus Bowl uh, towards the end of the day and finished off with Anderson taking his fifth wicket and I think he, I'm right in saying, Simon, he's 598th in Test cricket. Is that right? Yeah, 598. So two more tomorrow or on Tuesday will take him to 600. England have got a little bit of a race against time again. It happened earlier in the summer, but a bit of a race against time against the weather. The forecast tomorrow is for some showers and then on Tuesday for more rain and then perhaps just clearing up in the afternoon into the evening. So they might not have those 180, whatever it is, overs to wrap this match up, but they are in a very strong position. What a wonderful innings from Azar Ali and what fantastic comedy third 11 cricket we had around about 20 past six, 10 past six this evening. Not that Jimmy Anderson, I think, would have seen the funny side of it. (laughs) Well, he doesn't very often, does he? And, you know, (laughs) bowlers who, you know, put their heart and soul and stretch every muscle and sinew in the uh, quest for producing 85 miles an hour swingers, you, you know, when you do see drop catches like that and it's the end of the day as well and you're thinking about putting your feet up or perhaps taking another new ball. There was a prospect at one stage, actually, where Anderson could have taken a newish ball this morning, which was only, what, 10 overs old or something, then to take the second new ball, which he did, and then to take a third new ball when Pakistan <laughs> followed on. But in the end, bad luck ruined that uh, that ploy. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you've been out in the field all day, you've absolutely bust a gut to try and get your five for, and those kind of easy wickets at the end of the innings with the lower order, just snicking a few, and the, the slip catches drop it. And I suppose the uh, the, the kind of uh, the capping of it all, the last straw, was when Stuart Broad missed that totally simple catch off Azar Ali, who was at 140 not out, and uh, off Anderson. Uh, that would have been Anderson's fifth wicket. And then he... But, you know, sort of responded by 
picking the ball up at wide mid-on and almost without looking, hurled the ball vaguely towards the stumps. The ball removed the middle stump clean and Abbas, the number 10, who clearly has absolutely no idea about running between the wickets at all, was miles short. Yeah, uh, that's why I talk about comedy cricket. It wasn't just England, it was Pakistan as well. You know, another run out, their third run out of the series. Oh, it's fantastic stuff. It really was. For those of you who didn't see it, it's worth just very quickly going through it. Azhar Ali was dropped by Burns at slip. Then Mohammed Abbas was dropped by Crawley at fourth slip, low down. That was probably pretty straightforward as slip catches go. The Burns one went a bit quickly. And then Broad at mid-on, dropping a catch. And then Mohamed Abbas run out. And I suppose Jimmy's mood would have been improved by the fact that he took the final wicket. Nassim caught by Sibley at last in the slips. So Anderson taking another five for five for 56. And really leading the way. It was a tough day, actually, for England's mm. pace bowlers today. Uh, Archer wicketless. Uh, Wokes took one. And that was a catch down the leg side. And Broad picked up a couple as well. He also was helped by a magnificent catch by Joss Butler down the leg side. It's amazing, isn't it? The, the game of cricket, how it can turn. You know, Butler runs at Old Trafford, runs here, and then suddenly it seems to help his wicket-keeping as well. He took a good catch off Don Best because he missed one off Don Best at Old Trafford. That You know, all the spotlight was on that. Took a good one standing up to Don Best and took a couple of perlers down the leg side. Mm, yeah, and, and it's, it's funny, but... You know, I was on, uh, we were doing this show at the moment uh, just before the end of play and I was on with David Gower and David Gower was talking about uh, a, a moment in his career when he uh, got a skyer uh, which was in the field in a one-day international and he'd had a bit of a rough trot with the bat and this skyer went up in the air in a one-day international against Australia. David Boone was the batsman and it was a real swirler and somehow he clung on to it and he just felt, that moment, he felt, hmm, my season's going to turn on this, you know, subconsciously, and it did. He had an incredible season, won the Ashes for England as captain in 1985 mm. and, and scored loads of runs. And, you know, Butler, uh, you know, that batting, which has shown signs of development over the last couple of tests anyway, just really came to fruition in this game. And and it's incredible, as you say, that, that these wicket-keeping has, has followed. I think it's because, you know, you relax, don't you? When you've dropped a few catches, as he had in previous tests you tense up a little bit mm. you know you're a bit don't want the ball to come to you you're a bit on edge and that's when you make mistakes that's when you're a bit too rigid or inflexible and the ball hits the hands and the hands are a bit hard and the ball falls out you have a nanosecond to make these decisions and your muscles especially for catching your muscles do need to be you know really relaxed of course the irony is that uh, the man who you would have expected to have swallowed anything today because of the runs he scored mm. Zach Crawley missed a fairly straightforward catch himself almost perhaps because he was too relaxed but uh, the victim in each case was Anderson and I tell you if he hadn't got that last wicket uh, to finish <laughs> the innings off there would have been a large hole in one of the dressing room doors or possibly his hotel room door uh, at the end of the day's play because he's not the best pleased I mean he was he went through so many emotions in that last sort of half an hour from you know optimism at getting the last few wickets to total fury to complete perplexedness when broad missed that catch and then did the run out and then final relief when he got his 29th fiver yeah uh, what's it what's it like as a bowler when a, when a, a catch is dropped off this is the first time 
that Anderson's ever had three catches dropped off him in an innings. And the, I mean, the amazing thing about it, because it was happening in about 10 minutes. That was, that was the other thing. It wasn't over the course of an innings. It was about 10 minutes. Yeah. And Rory Burns, I saw on, on uh, Crickbit, is a, a very good stat. The Rory Burns has dropped 41% of his chances, hmm. uh, you know, in, in his test career. What, what's it like as a bowler? What, what, what does it, it feel it, like? It, do, it does. It feels... And when, when one catch goes down, a slip catch especially, and you know slip catching is hard, when hmm. one goes down, you just think, okay, fair enough, you know, they, they catch most of them, fair enough, and you, you just say, well tried or whatever. When two go down, you sort of think, hmm, they're not concentrating. And and then when when it's the third, you just go absolutely nuts. You want to just shout and scream and swear at everybody and kick the ground and go away and you know drown your sorrows. I mean, you get it's fury. It's a total fury. What are you doing, you guys? Why are you not concentrating? Why are you not really ready for these catches? I'm working my butt off. Why aren't mm. you guys? And, and you, you know you do lose it. You lose this. This red mist sort of descends. Briefly, I mean, of course, the converse is I had experiences in some games where uh, there was nothing happening on the pitch and my bowling was going plumb line straight. And then the, the slip catch fielders would mimic me, would mock me by pretending to read a newspaper at first slip because they knew that, you know, nothing was coming. So, you know, it can get to, sort of to the other extreme. But, yeah, I mean, a total fury when, uh, when, when you see three in a row dropped. And Anderson, you could sort of, you could see the steam coming out of his ears, couldn't you? But you must have dropped some yourself. You, can you think of a, I, I can, a, a terrible drop? I, I can think of a couple. I dropped one in a NatWest semi-final. Guillaume Mendes, who went on to make 100, and we lost the game. And that, I felt absolutely terrible about that. And it was a fairly straightforward catch at mid-off. The worst one, though, actually, was in a club game. And I was 16. And uh, the, this uh, Australian sort of visiting professional came into bat, lobbed an easy catch to me at mid-off. I dropped it, and he was on naught. And he went on to make 100, and we lost the game as well. This was for Ealing Cricket Club. And the only, the worst thing about it was there was always a, an award for these games against touring teams for, you know, cock-up of the day. And, of course, I, I won it for, for that drop catch. And the award for cock-up of the day was to drink something called an earthquake, uh, which was uh, a mixture of six shots from along the line at the back of the bar. So brandy, rum, whiskey, gin and vodka topped up with grapefruit juice. You had to drink all that down in one. And I was 16 and I had to do it in front of everyone. And I can't say how paralytically drunk that made me. You know those feelings when occasionally you've had too many and you lie on your bed and the whole of the room spins? That that was what I felt like all night. Uh, So... That was my worst drop. But uh, talking of, of Anderson and you know the, the incredible performances he still keeps turning in, I thought I'd talk to Andrew Sampson again today. We had him on yesterday, and I thought I'd, I'd talk to him again today about bowlers who take their wickets in the sort of later years of their career, and he's come up with some good stats. Jimmy Anderson, as we know, is closing in on his 600th test wicket. Um, just keeps getting better with age, generally, doesn't he? He's um, one of the numbers I've been tracking on Anderson is most Test wickets after the age of 35. And if you look at that list, it's dominated by spinners, not terribly surprisingly. Rangana Harith at the top on 237, uh, including four, which he took on his 35th birthday. But among seamers, Courtney Walsh is the leader there on 180. 
Jimmy Anderson today went past Richard Hadley to go into second place of most test wickets off the age of 35. Now is 117, an average of about 21.4. Hadley, 116 at 21.39, so a very similar average. Amazing. And of course, Courtney Walsh, I mean, that, that's an yeah. astonishing figure after the age of 35. It is, yeah. Uh, his average was also in the range of 21.6 off to the age of 35, so very, very similar averages for those three. But Anderson, of course, uh, also got Shan Masood out again in the first innings uh, for the eighth time. Masood averaging four and a half against him, although that is an improvement on the two and a half that he was averaging against Anderson before the series. But it's an interesting sequence of scores from Sean Masood because his century in the first innings of the first test was his third in consecutive innings, which he's now followed with naught one and four. So I had a look at any other players who'd made single-figure scores in three consecutive innings after three consecutive centuries, and was a bit surprised to find another one. Vijay Hazari, the great Indian batsman, had three consecutive innings and then three consecutive centuries, and then after that his next four innings was 6-2, naught and naught. He's the leader in the clubhouse on that one, is Vijay Hazari at the moment. That is what is so at times frustrating about cricket you you feel you've cracked it you feel you're in good form and then you get a run of low scores i, I mean it actually just shows you doesn't it if you get some low scores that you know a, a decent score is not too far away you don't suddenly become a bad player i know that's a bit of a cliche and and there's azarali who's really struggled in this series i mean he's looked a bit of a walking wicket uh, to be honest planting that front pad out lbw several times today Absolutely magnificent. And it's all just in time, didn't it? It felt like that for him. You mentioned that at the start of the podcast that, you know, whether he saved his captaincy or, or you know, it's, it's possible he has, you know, with, with that innings today. It certainly showed that he's a class player, 17th Test 100. Just talk me through the, the technical adjustment that he's made to improve in this Test match. And here's another question for you. He's played enough in England to know that, you know, that, and it's happened before that he's going to be out LBW here. That front pad's going to be an issue for him. Why didn't he make that technical adjustment before the series? Why didn't he work on it before the series? I think that it's, again, it's about tension in the body uh, when you're uh, going through a bad patch. And that applies to a batsman or a bowler or a fielder. And uh, what happens when a batsman's struggling a bit is even if they have practiced a certain uh, technique so in his case he tends to fall over a bit over balancing towards the offside planting his front leg a little bit too far across and therefore having to play round his front pad when the bowling is straight and missing it and being lbw and he's been out like that a lot of times but even how often you practice it uh, in the nets when you get out into the middle and you're captain in a test match those sort of old instincts take over and what happens is, I think, especially when you are out of form and you know you're desperate for runs, is you just move too early. You just want to de- you're desperate to get the ball. I mean, get at the ball. I, I'm sure that you know a lot of club players as well as professional cricketers will know this feeling when you haven't played much recently. You just mm. want to feel bat on ball, and you go out searching for it. You go out sort of reaching for it. You plant your feet a bit too early. You think, well, I don't want to get out bold or LBW, so I'm going to just get my foot out quickly to to make sure that's my first line of defence. Everything happens a bit too early, rather than thinking, like just standing relaxed at the crease, knowing it's all going to be fine, and, and letting your movements be a little bit 
more natural. There's that sort of urge to get at the ball early on. And despite what you've practised and even told yourself, those kind of old habits uh, are very hard to eradicate. What he's done in this test match, he's just tried to be. I think what often happens, actually, funnily enough, is you know batsmen get into a last chance saloon, mm. and and everything, all the kind of fears and worries get banished, and they and you just sort of think, well, this is my last chance. Let's just let it let it be. You know, let let's just see what happens. And there's been lots of occasions happened there recently. I mean, I can think of Cook and Strauss. Both of them were pretty much on their last chance in the team you know, 10 years ago, and they made 100, when they seemed, they were sort of almost at peace with themselves. Okay, so if it doesn't work out this time, that's how it's meant to be. And they played in a much more natural way, and I think Azarelli did the same. He wasn't too intent on trying to get down the pitch. He just thought, right, I've got my bat, I'm going to use it. I've got my head, I'm going to point it down the wicket and and keep my balance and, and just try and be relaxed, a little bit more relaxed. And try and put that kind of the fear of failure away, uh, that that you know take get that monkey off your back kind of thing. And you know he did play a beautiful innings. And it's funny, isn't it, how you know things change because he, he played so well that in the end, when uh, Pakistan were asked to follow on, he offered to come out again, didn't he, and carry on his innings and open instead of waiting to go in at number three. One hundred and forty-one not out, magnificent innings. Uh, from Azza. I mean, there was a time today when Azza was batting with Rizwan, who, who's created a really good impression on this tour, where you could see why England were able to produce that monster partnership between uh, Crawley and Butler. Then, you know, not much was happening. It looked a bit flat. You actually were wondering where England were going to get a wicket from. You think, hold on a second. I wonder whether Azza and Rizwan are going to produce a really huge partnership, not to get Pakistan back in the match as such, because they're still they were always going to be a long way behind, I think. But to you know, make it almost impossible for England to win the game with the the time left. But England got that wicket just in time with that ball from Wokes down the leg side and Rizwan clipping it's all it always feels like a really annoying way to get out when you get caught down the leg side but the pitch at times uh, did look flat and they certainly needed those new ball wickets under the lights uh, last night it's actually interesting you, you look at England's wickets quite a few of them in this Pakistan innings have been taken with the floodlights on in in quite tricky bowling conditions it really is actually a feature now of test match cricket in England with with the lights on you know because we have so much bad light poor light around they, they switch the lights on how much how tricky it can be for batting and you know lights abroad and and Anderson have, have benefited from that hugely I would think yeah I mean you can see them salivating can't you when the the floodlights are on they've got a new ball in their hand they've got slightly nervous batsmen nervous tail enders in their sights and of course you know to, to just kind of be precise about this if the lights weren't there the clouds would mean you wouldn't play mm. and the fact the clouds are there makes the conditions that bit more conducive to to bowling also the lights themselves aren't that great um, you know we've talked about this before but even the best floodlights are only probably about a quarter as good as decent natural daylight so actually uh, maybe that's an excuse for the slit fielders why they drop those catches yeah. You know, I was going to go it, on to it. It isn't easy, is it, for fielding yeah. under in, in in those conditions? Yeah, I was going to go on to that. I mean, a lot, a lot of the time you think about the batsman. Can the batsman see the ball? Are they in danger? You know, if Archer's running in and banging it in short, is the batsman under under threat? But actually, you're right. It's the it's, it's the fielders that sometimes really find it hard to to pick 
pick it up. Mm. Um, you know, we all, lots of people listening to this will have fielded in a club match, you know, in very poor light in September or whatever, or August this time of the year, you know, moving towards the end of the day, you know, when you haven't bowled your overs. And it can be really difficult to, to see where the ball is. It just takes that split second to work out where it's gone. Of course, as a batsman, you tend to know where the ball's coming from, especially, you know, you've got the sight screen behind you. And of course, the other factor as well is the umpires. So we, we did talk about this on an earlier podcast when we had the bad light down at, at Southampton that they feel these days a little bit under threat because batsmen hit the balls so hard. Not So, that you know, you feel you feel a bit vulnerable as, a, mm-hmm. as an, an umpire as well. And you do wonder, actually, in a situation like that, you know, we, we see Daryl Harper with his shield, whether umpires, you know, when there is bad light around, should umpire in, in helmets. I mean, it's, it look, mm. might look a bit undignified, but, you know, it, it's all like another idea to, to yeah. keep the game going. Do you know, I did some umpiring today. Did I you? umpired in a club game for about half an hour down the road. My two sons were playing and I volunteered to umpire when one of my sons, Callum, was bowling. And he, said, he said to me, well, he said to me, you're putting me under pressure. I said, oh, <laughs> come on, you know, just enjoy yourself. And he bowled about second ball. He bowled this lovely inswinger hit the batsman on the pad and everybody knew that it, I was the father of the bowler and I thought oh god you know am I going to give this and it was really tight it was one of those where it swung in quite late hit him on the the front pad I just thought oh it's just going down it's probably it might be clipping the leg stump but I can't really give that can I and look as if I'm sort of showing ultra ultra favoritism so I gave it not out. Yeah, well, that's the difficulty, isn't it, of, of, of umpiring your own team or your your own family. And lots of people listening to this who've, who've done that over the years, uh, yeah, you know, will know the the dilemma you were in. Um, Perhaps you could uh, anyone who's got a good story about umpiring their own family, yeah. uh, we'd love to hear it. Simon Hughes at thecricketer dot com. You know, anything that sort of where you had to feel either favouritism or lack of favouritism uh, to to uh, judge a, a decision with a, a member of your family. We'd love to hear from you. Simon.Hughes at thecricketer.com. It's a, it's a horrible situation to be in, but of course, you know, sometimes you've got to have an umpire, haven't you? Otherwise, it's very hard for the for the game to go on. What about this game then? Uh, yours is the, the, the die cast. I mean, we felt that, you know, very early on in this match, I sort of sensed almost sort of halfway through the first day, perhaps, you know, by... T on the first day, you know, about 180 before they sort of, they seem to have, you know, getting a grip of the game and they haven't really uh, released that grip throughout. And really is now just a question of, you know, finishing it off, I suppose. Pakistan are 310 runs behind. They're going to have to bat extremely well. I mean, the pitch isn't that bad, but, you know, someone's going to have to make a big hundred to get Pakistan up to, you know, something like four or five hundred, really. And, and if, you know, if we do have the best part of two days play, that's what they're going to need to look at. Because, you know, even if they get, say, f- say 430, you know, England will have a chase of 120, um, you know, possibly again, you know, a bit of a time limit. It might even turn into a bit of a one day chase. But, you know, that's the size of task Pakistan are facing now. Yeah, and it's all working rather well for England, isn't it? Everything's sort of slotting into place in this match. After that first day where they lost a few early wickets, then that massive stand, uh, a huge total, 583, 
perfectly finished about 10 overs to go. Anderson comes in and gets three quick wickets uh, mm. at the night in the night. Then today, the way that the, the, the interruptions happened, it then allowed the new ball bowlers to have a little bit of a break, come back, bowl again. And wickets, apart from that sort of middle session, wickets fell at fairly regular intervals. And the perfect timing just at the end of the day when the bowlers are a bit tired and might have fancied five overs uh, having asked Pakistan to follow on, but were perhaps quite happy to go and put their feet up. Mm. The light came in badly. They went off and they've got a lovely new day tomorrow having put their feet up to have a go at Pakistan again. So it's it's really worked out perfectly for England and it'll probably work out perfectly for Anderson. Two wickets yeah. on the new ball, 600, put your feet up for the rest of the day and actually not bowl again until January. Yeah, well, it, well, it could be something like that. Yeah, and and yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's, it's perfect situation, chance to rest overnight. Because the other thing, of course, is that you know it, when a team have bowled 93 overs these days, I mean, generally they don't ask the opposition to follow on, but they've obviously looked at the weather forecast, so taking that a bit more into consideration. And they as also, I suspect, I don't know, there's a something in the back of your mind. You think, well, let's let's get this done. The weather the weather's a bit iffy. We've got 310 runs in the bank. And, you know, perhaps if we can leave that bio bubble a day early, um, we might escape the bio bubble, then that's also uh, to our benefit. But I think, you know, tactically, it, it all works out for them, doesn't it, to, in, to enforce the follow on. But you just imagine, you know, if this, if this were a situation where, you know, say, say England were 1-0 up in the ashes, in, in this was the last test match, I'm not sure they would enforce the follow on. Would they in a situation like this? I think they would they would bat again and they would get as many runs as they possibly can and you know make it impossible for say the Australians to, well, to win the I game. I think the different feeling here is they're not playing Australia yeah. who they know would absolutely you know get stuck in Pakistan but they've got your friend Fawad Alam at number 6 who I don't think is going to get 100 uh, even though you <laughs> predicted he would and they've got three tailor you know they've got at least three number 11s yeah. so you sort of think you sense well we get two or three of them out it's not going to be that tough. But Mohamed Rizwan, decent number seven. Mm. Yassir Shah is okay at number eight. But, you know, that, that you feel like you only need to get six wickets and they're all out. Yeah, well, you're right. It's it's, it's a um, you've got quite a thin Pakistan uh, batting lineup. They do rely a, a lot on uh, Azhar and, and, and Baba, Baba Azam. And, where, where, uh, and, where, and where, where is our friend Zahir Abbas, who you must have, were, uh, you know, grown up watching actually playing for Gloucestershire, and I didn't realize until I, I, I didn't realize until I heard uh, Wazi Makram uh, talking on TV today that he scored four times. He scored a double and a single hundred in the same match, all yeah. of them not out. Yeah, and he's just been uh, in. in I was going to say incarcerated. He's just been um, <laughs> inducted. Invited, is the word inducted? Inducted. inducted in, thank you in, into the uh, into the ICC Hall of Fame. Quite yeah, right well, too. He, well, he was he was. He was a wonderful player to watch uh, when I was growing up. Beautiful batsman to watch. Scored quickly. Really ad- attractive player. And just, he loved batting. Absolutely loved it. He loved batting. He loved uh, red ink. And he absolutely hated fielding. He did. He used to opt out of fielding, didn't he? I mean, he literally, <laughs> he, he, he batted for all day. And then you'd think, well, he'll be fielding tomorrow. And no, no sign of him at all. Got yeah. the 12th man on. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't very keen on on fielding, but it, it was it was great fun uh, to watch him batting. Well, someone's got to someone's got to take on the mantle for Pakistan tomorrow with the bat. We have Barbara Azam. We haven't seen him make a really big score 
in this series so far. So perhaps the, the focus will be on him tomorrow and on Tuesday. But it feels as if this game is only going one way. But I mean, it felt like that last night. And there was that wonderful partnership today between uh, Azarali and uh, Rizwan, which, which just sort of, you know, got under England's skin a bit. It was a bit frustrating for a while. But ultimately, they, they found a way, thanks to Butler's uh, fine catching and, uh, and Broad and Anderson's persistence. Last day of the Test match summer for you tomorrow, Oz, do you think? Yeah, I reckon so. Yeah, I reckon so. And uh, well, well done to everyone for the, the performances they put in and the, the competition we've seen and the, the high standard of cricket. Uh, maybe that storm on Tuesday will, will just uh, come a day too late to, to ruin this game. I think uh, tomorrow is the time for England to polish off the series and go to number two in the world in the ICC Test Championship. Don't forget, uh, we'll be reviewing the last hour's play, David Gow and I, tomorrow at 5.30pm and Simon and I will be back with the podcast tomorrow night. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Sports Social Podcast Network.